Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. I'm your host, Eric Hewson, along with co-host Theo Fleury. Darren is not with us today, Theo. He is down in South by Southwest doing an event down there. It's unfortunate because this is an important topic for Darren to be a part of. Uh, as we like to focus so much on current event topics. And the current event topic of this week was Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver now for the Jacksonville Jaguars for four years, uh, played dominant role with the Atlanta Falcons and his article that he released in the Players Tribune. Now, for those who don't follow the Players Tribune, it's kind of become the Bible, the place where players go, professional athletes go to share directly to fans without having a reporter or a media bias. Uh, there's ghostwriters, certainly, but the players are sharing their story of what happened to them in a particular scenario so that it's unfiltered and fans can hear directly from the players what was going on in their lives. This one was particularly of interest to our group because if you look at the timeline, Calvin Ridley, when he was playing for the Falcons, and I remember this distinctly because I'm a Jets fan. So in 2021, after having a huge season in 2020, he caught like 1,300 yards and uh, caught uh, nine touchdowns. And so, you know, he, he, he's, he's coming into the 2021 season and he's ready to go to uh, London to play, you know, the NFL is playing all these London games now. And he decides he's going to leave football and taking a mental health break. And for those of us in the mental health advocacy space, it was phenomenal to hear him say he was prioritizing his mental health. Okay. So that's October of 2021. March of 2022 comes around and it gets announced that Ridley was also being suspended for having bet on his own team. Uh, apparently opened up one of those betting apps, uh, put in $1,500, was betting on both basketball, and then last minute added the Falcons to it, to his bet. And so the narrative went in the media, not surprisingly, well, Calvin Ridley used mental health as an excuse because he's a problem gambler. He's a gambling addict. And all the memes in the world started coming out after that. It was, you know, pictures of Michael Jordan looking like he's drunk at a poker table. Oh, this is what Calvin Ridley is doing during his, quote, mental health break. And again, for those of us who follow the story closely, what was upsetting about it was the timeline just didn't add up. Ridley leaves football for mental health reasons in October, the event that happened with gambling didn't happen until later in November, a month later. We're going to get into right now the story that he shared in the Players Tribune, but to then downplay that his mental health struggles were real because the fact that, oh, well, maybe he's covering up his gambling by using mental health as an excuse, that's a very slippery slope, and the, the facts just don't support it, nor do the timeline. 
So diving into the story that Ridley did share, he finally had a chance to open up and talk about it in the Players' Tribune. And he starts with an apology, which I think is phenomenal. He starts by saying, "I what I did was wrong. And I don't expect not to be culpable and to be held accountable for what I did. And I served my time with my suspension. And he's not looking for an excuse to say, you know, I didn't do anything here. What he says was at the time of when he made the bet, he didn't leave his house. Football was what had given him purpose. And at the time that this happened, he was getting no joy from it whatsoever. He described the world as being dark. So keep in mind, this is off the heels. I mentioned this earlier. 2020, he plays, catches 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns. He's he's the new guy who's going to be replacing uh, Julio Jones as the number one for the Falcons. But he knew he was playing on an injured foot. The trainers were telling him it was just some kind of bone bruise. He said he was getting hopped up with the Toradol, which is what a lot of those guys take, uh, was getting hopped up with painkillers on top of the Toradol so that he could play. Well, his staff in Atlanta after 2020 gets fired. And in 2021, the new staff comes in and the athletic trainer tells him to go get uh, an X-ray and an MRI. And they find out that he's been playing on a broken foot the whole time. So he gets surgery rushes back to be able to play for that 2021 season early in the 2021 season his house gets broken into sees on the video footage of what the cops gave to him that five guys entered his house with guns when he and his wife came back from a game that he had been playing at he said essentially the whole block was there with the cops open up with the door and his wife is traumatized doesn't want to come back in the house anymore because of obviously when you get violated in that way how it affects you. And he says that's when he really started to feel the weight of the world on his chest. And I'm using this as a quote. He didn't have the words for what he was experiencing yet. He said, I felt like I was getting attacked, but almost by something invisible. It's like I'm getting my hit in my chest 24-7 by somebody I can't see. So he's supposed to go to London for that game, breaks down, tells the team that he can't, can't go, and ends up going to therapy. This is before the gambling incident happened. And in opening up in therapy, talks about being eight years old with his therapist. He'd never opened up about things like this before. His aunt had picked him and his two brothers up at school, dropped them off at a foster home. And they were told by the folks at the foster house, your mom and dad went away for a while and you need to stay here. He, he said he grew up in a poor family. They, they were living on food stamps, $26 a month for the uh, for the rent they paid. His dad got deported, and all that says is his mom got taken away. We can read into that what we'd like, whether or not that was jail or something else. And he remembers the, the cries of his little brother just, just uh, wailing out for his mom. Where is his mom? Where is his mom? And, and they had to take his little brother away for six months away from him. So now he's not only taken away from his parents, but his brother is taken away from him as well and eventually gets put into a more stable home falls in love with football playing football all day and all night all right back to him being with the team um was after a month after he had left the team for these mental health reasons that he ended up betting on on the falcons game on this betting app so he deposited fifteen hundred dollars total literally he said just for something to do because what he said was every day just getting by each day was like a dark wall in front of me. And he was going to bet like $200 on an NBA game and then added a bunch of games to a parlay, put the Falcons in on it. For those of us who work for teams and leagues, 
and or our players we know we're told never to bet on our own sport let alone our own team and it, it, he ends you know within the article saying when people ask what were you thinking the only answer i can give is i wasn't when you're that depressed you're not thinking about anything in the future you're just trying to get through the day and so i hear all that and i and i know we've got theo here and I'm going to have him dive into his story because gambling was was a piece of his story and the way that he coped through the struggles before he was able to open up and share and go on his healing journey. And our guest today is a friend of the family, someone who's been with us for a long time, Dr. John Rosa, who is uh, chair of Maryland University of Integrative Health. He owns 17 integrative medicine clinics throughout the D.C., Virginia, Baltimore area. And probably the biggest uh, title that he's got relative to this particular discussion is he is someone who's been a surrogate to the White House the last three administrations on the opioid addiction uh, crises and add mental health to that. And I say add mental health to that because trauma, addiction, suicide, overdose, as Theo says all the time, are cousins living in the same house. And the reason why this was such an important story for us to get together on is because of how it's being parceled out as if Calvin Ridley is a problem gambler and that's what his issue is and the mental health thing doesn't play in and fortunately with him sharing his story we can now start to lift the veil a little bit more on how these pieces all fit together so I want to start with Theo you know Theo when you hear Ridley's take in the Players Tribune and you hear what he went through as a child and then even as an adult when we're talking about the robbery in his house talking about playing through the injuries and being hopped up on all these painkillers does it does it bring back memories does it does it make you feel like you're you're in his shoes does it just make you have compassion for him as a human being what what does it elicit for you well a lot of things um but you know, if I was to put on my, you know, amateur psychology hat on, you know, he's obviously looking for dopamine, right? You know, he's, because uh, I know, I, you know, when I was depressed, you know, playing a few hands of, you know, blackjack or throwing the dice or whatever, you know, you, you don't, you know, you don't feel shitty. You know, you feel alive, you feel, you know, you're around people, you're, you know what I mean? So, um, but I would say that no matter what it is, whatever your label is, that, you know, if you don't have the tools um, to be able to deal with whatever you're feeling at whatever point, you know, addiction is always going to be there. It never goes away. It's always there. And it's, you know, a lot of times it's it's really easy, especially now. They make gambling very, very easy for people. You know, you can bet on your phone. You can go on your computer. Um, you know, uh, you can bet, bet on, you know, single what did they say? Single betting is, you know, I don't know. It's like, you know, taking a hit of something, right. You know, so, um, 
but good on him for recognizing the fact that he had the cap capacity or the capability to know that he was, you know, doing something that he shouldn't have done. And, you know, when you're, when you're addicted, you know, the first thing is, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's why, you know, when you go to AA, you announce yourself as, hi, my name's Theo and I'm an alcoholic, right? There's things there that, you know, obviously um, he acknowledged quickly. He knew that he was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. But the simple fact that he has the capacity and awareness to, to know that he's doing something wrong, you know, I, I, I don't worry about him because, you know, uh, how you overcome addiction is honesty, openness, and willingness, right? Yeah. And, you know, it just goes to show you that uh, even though that I've been in this space for 15 years, uh, the education of, you know, mental illness, we still have miles and miles and miles to go because everybody is so quick to judgment. And when you have judgment, you have no, no capacity for healing uh, collectively when there's, when there's judgment. So, you know, and I was judged, you know, all the time and nobody ever asked me, you know, what happened to you? You know, when, when you explain, you know, his story of, you know, just one day he gets randomly dropped off at some foster home, like that's not going to affect you for the rest of your life. Of course it is. Yeah. Are you going to feel abandoned all the time? Yes. Are you going to feel not good enough? Yeah. All the time. Are you going to feel not loved? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so we, we, uh, as an organization and people who are in the business of educating people, we've got a long ways to go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. I think that's education is, is going to be the key here. And, and you educate through storytelling. And what Calvin did was a solid. And a lot of people are going to look at Calvin telling his story and say, oh, well, 
his marketing agent told him to do that because that covers up the gambling thing, right? And for everyone who's listening, I, I you know, some of the things that Theo said and then comparing it to what happened with Calvin, Calvin wasn't ongoing and gambling for months and months and years and years at a time and spending tons of money. He made a ridiculous decision, which was to bet on his own team. John's going to help us dive into that because when Theo described it, like I listened to Theo's words, when he described it as that one game that he gambled on and, and, and picking his team is like taking that hit, that hit that he needed. That's the key right there. And when Theo says we won't, we're going to turn to something until we figure out how to be open and honest about what we went through and that we need education. What he's saying there is every single one of us, if you look at your activities, and your behavior, sex, drugs, gambling, food, sugar, work, in my particular case, you turn to things that prevent you from feeling certain types of pain from the stuff you've dealt with in the past. And I spent a lot of time last week, Dr. Rose and I got together, we were meeting on a number of other things. And it's interesting because we've got this roadmap that we talk about as an organization, and it's about normalization, number one, through storytelling and vulnerability, then common language is number two, and how we're all moving up and down on a continuum, and we need common language for that. And the number three is understanding the science of why do we move up and down on that continuum, so we better understand how the body's affected by the challenging life events that we have. And then fourth, what are the exercises that we could do to normalize those effects of the body? But it hit me, and John's been telling me this for a while, like, there's a piece that's missing in there, which is addiction almost always comes in yeah. like, like you you look at a human being and and we're, we're going to talk about the nuances of this in this episode you might not think you're addicted to something and we're going to give you examples of how we get addicted because it's avoidance so john yeah look yeah. Uh, eric it's it's this this is the classic i call it escapism right so you have it, it, you you eloquently put together what his what he put out to the to the fans or to the world about what happened to him where he was it's just it's not about pointing the finger about look what he did what did he do what an idiot how much money can you make this guy blows it well why would he bet on his team and how that's an excuse there's no excuse this is like the perfect scenario of what happens to a human being as they're growing up and the trauma related stuff that affects somebody you're eight years old for god's sake and you're brought to foster care because your parents got the door knocked in and they come rushing in with dogs is his earliest memory of his, of that lifestyle and then get comes from school and gets dumped in foster care like the traumatic event of that alone and him being the oldest of the four boys and having to put that all together and it's funny, you were saying it was October when, October in 2021, when he had that, well, it was October 31st in 20, I think 2002, when right. that happened. Because he remembers it was Halloween and he was at school and they picked him up and they brought mm -hmm. him over. So it's funny how that happens. There's triggers. Everything has a, a, involves with trigger. And you're in foster care. One of the younger brothers, I think, flipped out, right? He was screaming and yelling about not being comfortable. What am I going to do? And he's like, we got this, we got this, we got this. Then they take him away for six months and put him somewhere else. You know, his father gets deported, like you said. His mother, you know, will assume when you say put away that she's she's incarcerated. 
And what do you do? You put somewhere and what was the thing he leaned on? At this point, we say that the brain has no delete button, right? Every memory that you get goes straight into the back of your head, sits and waits. Either you're going to think about it again or you try to compartmentalize it to protect yourself. He was put, football was his thing. This guy grabbed a hold of something. You know what his initial addiction was? The game. Yes. The, and Theo, I've heard him talk a lot about it in the past. Maybe he can hit on that after again. It's the game, the rush, the go, the rush, the game, the win. The It's just this constant go of feeling like there's something blocking all that stuff that sits in the back of that head. Then what happens when you get injured? Then you're put on meds. And now the medication fills that same gap because you're not. The neurochemistry of someone feeling whole is dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. Those things are supposed to be produced normally. Like if you have functional MRI to our brains when we're doing these podcasts, they're on fire because we feel good about the fact that we're trying to educate others about a problem. But they're, that's not firing for them when they have this stuff, the trauma-related things in their brain. You know, painkillers will fill that gap in a big way. And they start giving you those dopamine hits too. Then you're told you can't play. What is the other fear of a professional athlete? There's someone behind you waiting to take your spot. So now you feel like you don't even have the, you know, I'm the guy. You were saying, I, I forget who it was that left. And he was he was number two. Now he's number one. In Julio Jones, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I mean, that's a big deal. And now they're saying he's got to feel like I can't play. Then you go home with your family and the door is busted open. Wow. Didn't that happen when he said his earliest memories of his parents and how it happened? You know, that's a that's a trigger from I don't know where. And now his wife feels like she can't be in the home. He stays home to help protect her because she doesn't want to be alone. Now he's by himself. And now, now you, all these things that have helped you calm your nervous system down because you're not producing any decent neurochemistry. This guy has the history of the perfect scenario of what happens as a child. You Now you take it away. What does he do? He's got a phone. He's watching TV and a commercial comes on. You can't watch a sporting event without a commercial for gambling. You can't watch any. You could watch cricket and there's going to be a commercial about downloading that app. So he sees it and now it's like, oh, wow, I, just, I could bet on something. I know the games and I know that then he puts it down and he's getting, you know, a little trick. This isn't dopamine rush or I'm addicted or hack. he's addict. He's got addiction qualities in his persona. So no matter what he's exposed to, he sucks it in to help produce the right chemistry to feel like an, a human being. So any finger pointing and bomb throwing and saying that, you know, where the, pro if you don't understand, you don't understand. You just got to know the history. It's frustrating, John, that like, you know, I see the comments, obviously Darren retweets his stuff out when we put it out there or he tweets it himself. And you see people, especially because of the space Darren's in and you, you get comments from people like I'm a professional gambler and this was not enough money to be betting for someone to be getting a dopamine hit from. Yeah, you're missing the point. That's that. That's and 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 it ties to what you're bringing up and where we'll bring Theo back in is the earliest addiction of many of these professional athletes is the sport itself. I was a sports addict growing up. That was my escape, right? I just I'm six four instead of six eight as a basketball player, so I wasn't going to play at that next level, but. When, when people hear the term addiction, the problem is they think of such a bad thing because addiction gets uh, put together with alcoholic and it gets put together with drug addict, right? Those are the two things that it gets put together with, as opposed to looking at addiction as something that is 
I escape pain from, right? It's it, as human beings, we're actually pretty simple, even though we're very complex. If you look at the pain piece of it, what John's describing with pushing things to the back of the head, we push things to the back of the head so we could focus on the things that we love doing because it helps us avoid the things in the back of our head. But the problem with the addictions is we're not working on the stuff that we move to the back of the head. And right. so John's not saying that some addictions, let's say, if it is work, if it is food, if it... There's different effects, right? If you're taking drugs, you, you can get a chemical dependency. John's going to get into that in a little bit. And that may be a little bit more volatile than the addiction that I have for work, right? It, it, you, it, you don't want to compare these things because you don't want to compare different thresholds and levels of pain, but you can compare what potential outcomes are based on us getting addicted to certain either activities versus certain topics, but it's pain avoidance at the end of the day. And that pain avoidance, what we're trying to open up and illuminate to everyone here is it can happen in a momentary spot like it did with Calvin, where he does something that you say, how could you be thinking about doing something like that? He says, I wasn't thinking because I was just trying, essentially, I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth, but I was trying to be a human because mm -hmm. when you're that depressed and you can't feel the serotonin, the dopamine, the oxytocin, you need something that makes you feel normal, Right. It's not an excuse. He doesn't say he doesn't say I shouldn't be punished for it. He's explaining why he did it because he can't give you a rational reason. So and, and Theo, when you hear Dr. John talk about the addiction of an athlete and playing, you know, from such a young age because it's an escapism thing. I heard it from Rob Shrimp and why he got got on the ice all the time. I heard it from Reggie Walker and why he got played on the field all the time. How much does that resonate with you about what you were doing as a young kid? Yeah, but it was a productive addiction, yes. right? You know, I wasn't I wasn't hurting anybody, you know. Um, what well, 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 Theo? I, it was, I wasn't it was getting. Productive. I wasn't. I wasn't. It was productive, but I wasn't I, getting I, any negative consequences. Yes, I wasn't getting any doing, negative consequences. You you what you were doing, and this is where uh, the parallel because you could look back on it now as the sage that you are, as I, as I smile at you, but you, you, you were getting positive feedback from it, but there were also things that you know that were going on in your life and, or had gone on in your life that because of the positive reinforcement you were getting, it enabled you to be able to turn a blind eye to those things and pretend like they didn't happen. True. No, I knew they were happening. There, there was no, there was no, uh, you know, but it was no fun at home. It was no fun at home. It was all mm -hmm. fear. It was chaos, some violence. You know, it just wasn't a place I wanted to be. Sure. And when I went to the rink, I got people who looked after me, cared about me, loved me, uh, taught me. And, you know, and then I discovered, you know, that I was, I was really good at what I was doing. And so, it became a passion. It became a way out, right? It became a way out of, you know, my future because I could see my future already. It wasn't going to be great, you know? And so I found something and I focused on it and, you know, created this amazing life that I have today is, is because of that. So, you know, I don't, that's the thing about addiction is, is I hate the word 
Mm-hmm. It is it is it is emotional pain management. It's not addiction. It's emotional pain management. That's what that's what addiction is, right? And hey, my addiction actually saved my life. It saved my life, you know. And and it wasn't all bad. I needed a coping mechanism. But it saved your life. But here's where, where and you and I have never talked about it in this aspect. So people are hearing this for the first time, no matter how long we've been friends. Mm-hmm. It saved your life. But what I want to bring up, and, and, and you can tell me I'm wrong, it also almost ended your life because it was such a good drug for you that you never had to work on those other things that, yes, you knew were there, but what did you always tell me when you were in yeah. that house in New Mexico? I didn't learn how to live life on life's terms. And I had to learn to live that. Yeah. And so so the pain mm-hmm. avoidance piece, when you find something, whether you're the professional athlete, whether you're the accountant, whether you are the store shop owner, whether you're the guy who's trying to make partner at the law firm, you find that drug that you're going after that makes you feel whole. And it enables you for a period of time, whatever that period of time is, to basically not deal with your shit and to let that shit build, right? So so there's yeah. absolutely different levels. But, but, yeah. but, yeah. but after my first year in New York, I went to my first treatment center and that was the end of my career. When I started working on my shit, that was the end of my career because I couldn't, couldn't focus on anything other than, you know, all these layers of the onion were being peeled off and I had no tools. They took away all of my coping mechanisms and just said, you know, deal with it. And so when I, when I got to the place where I had, I couldn't, couldn't manage anymore. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to what I know best. Right. And so that's where I see my career ended is when, you know, I went to my first treatment center, started going to therapy you know, going to AA, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah that was the end of my But it, But, but isn't, a, isn't a possible cautionary tale there, Theo, that instead of a player waiting, because because I could take away from that, I want to get John's take on this, I could take away from what you just mm-hmm. shared there, Theo, that it's almost promoting to the, the current professional athlete or the current guy who's trying to become or gal who's trying to become CEO or partner at a law firm, don't go to therapy yet because it's going to take the edge away from you. And, and, and I don't want that to be people's take. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling, being honest and telling you, Mike, of course, of course. And, and I'm, not, I'm not telling anybody, I'm not telling anybody not to do therapy. I'm just being honest about my experience and what happened, you know, when I was in New York was, you know, I went into therapy, and uh, I couldn't couldn't focus on on uh, my job anymore. They took away all of my coping mechanisms. I wasn't allowed to drink, and I wasn't allowed to do drugs, and I wasn't allowed to, you know, whatever. And that's when I that's when I started gambling because they allowed me to gamble, and so I just went all in with the gambling. Right, I wasn't drinking, but you know, I might as well have been, right? So all well, I'm saying that, is that's that an important point of everyone's got to hear what you just said there, Theo, because 
for everyone who's questioning Calvin and and it's you know the judgment on this thing how could you gamble on your team and what Theo's saying right there is you took away one coping mechanism maladaptive you took another away another mechanism that was maladaptive I just found another mechanism that as John put it before makes me feel whole as a human being because I needed that because I was feeling so not myself, not like a human being, because all those other things were being taken from me. Um, and and, and in, in hearing that, though, Theo, like my, the two scenarios that come up for me that I would ask you, and, 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 and again, you and I have never discussed this before, so it'll be the first time you're saying, I'm not feeding you this. Mm-hmm. One is, mm-hmm. if maybe you had been encouraged to go, I know it wasn't popular back then, but if you had been encouraged to go to therapy at a younger part in your career, could the therapy have had a different effect because it could have been strung out over a longer period of time and things could have slowly seeped out and it wouldn't have had this, you know, major jerking it away from you effect where it's taking things away and 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 rocking your, your foundation. That's number one. Um, and then number two is with it, you know, being at the end of your career that way, you know, was it was it possible that it was just because it was at the end of your career there? Was it was it was it, you know, athletically, maybe you like, how did how did you feel in terms of your performance? And because what I'm trying to get at is, you know, we want people to open up, we want people to share, we want people to feel like they can get help. And your experience, it sounds like when you open up and when you shared it, it, it didn't go the way you would have liked your, your career went on hold. And, and then is it possible that if you didn't open up at all at that point, you were still using the coping mechanisms that you were using at the time, you would have spun out of control anyway, because you weren't learning what the right ways to cope were. You know, th- I'm thinking about all of the kinds of therapy I've done, you know, in the last 21 years and how advanced that has gotten right Mm -hmm. and back back when i first started in in uh you know in therapy it was just talk therapy that was it there was never any uh do this like meditate you know pray you know there wasn't a whole lot of that going on right it was just about talking, talking about it. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't reprogramming anything by talking, you know what I mean? So it was really difficult to manage stuff that I had absolutely buried and swore to myself that I was never going to reveal any of this stuff to the world. Yeah. Right. Cause, cause we're talking about shame here. We're talking about deep, rooted shame and guilt and anger and resentment and you name it and so you know it it has taken me 20 some years of of intense therapy of uh self-reflection to you know to get to this place so you know, it's a process. Yeah. You added, you added incredibly, and I want John to chime in on this. Like, <clears throat> I was giving factors of maybe if you had started therapy earlier in your career, but you threw another one in there, which is, which is, should have, <laughs> should have been on the top of my list, and it wasn't. 
and, and thank you for bringing it up, which is what talk therapy was all that was around back then. And, and our belief as a group, talk therapy is you're like a car stuck in mud and it feels good for 60 minutes as you rev the gas to try and get the car out of the mud. And then the tracks just get deeper and you never get out of the mud because you're not being given other tools that actually allow the tires to grip on something and get out of that mud. And so, John, as you hear that, especially with, well, they, they, yeah, yeah, Theo, they don't, they don't stitch you up, right? They don't stitch you up after they open you up and, and you know, yeah, there you, you are, you're raw, right? And oh. then, and then, my teammates, my who am I going to talk to, right? Who am I going to talk to about this stuff? Who am I, you know, my wife doesn't even. Yep. Right, you know, and here I am. You know, they took a big scalpel and they just, you know, opened me wide up and then expected me to manage my life. No, not a chance. Right, it takes time, it takes trust. It takes, you know, there's so many, there's so many factors, and you know, all the negative comments from his post are from people who are triggered by the experience right you know the gambler you know pushing back you don't think he's got guilt you don't think you've triggered all the stuff he's doing <laughs> all the lies he's telling yeah you know what i mean it's just well like, my point to him and, was and it's that perpetual yeah my, my that point perpetual to him. trauma loop that you just can't get out of well that's that was my point to him theo is like you brought up to to that guy Penny slots are are the most popular <laughs> uh, gambling. Uh, the biggest money makers in the casino yeah. are are slot machines. Why? Because they're dopamine and serotonin machines. You, People you don't always... give a shit if they win anything. I have All they want to do like is that. just keep pressing that button for as long as they can. I I got you know being 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 Robin Leonard's friend and and him going to Vegas. I became friends with a lot of people who are in Vegas and, and Theo has this great visual. He always shares of the person outside of a building, just puff a cigarette, puff a cigarette, puff a cigarette, puff a cigarette and getting that hit, hit, hit each time. I see friends who just sit at the slot machine and go ring, 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 ring. And Theo's right. They don't care if they win. So for anyone who's looking at the Calvin Ridley situation and going, he didn't bet enough for that to be a dopamine hit. Let's not tie this to mental health. He was just bored and he made a stupid decision because he was bored and he chose to do that. It's not the case. John, you've been waiting to chime in, so I want you to share. <laughs> yeah, um, it's classic. I mean, to talking to me, it's classic. Just it's the science that's classic because there's certain parts of the brain, like the prefrontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex is where your decision-making is and it tells the rest of the parts of the brain, like the hippocampus and the amygdala, what I'm supposed to do with the information that's given me. Problem is when things happen when you're so young, you the, the connection, literally the, neur the neurons that fire and connect your, the front of your brain, that prefrontal cortex and connects it with the amygdala, which is the emotion center or the hippocampus, which is where you you actually store and learn memories. Like when you're under that much stress and things happen to you, the hippocampus actually shrinks. Like it's documented, that area shrinks. So because it's trying for you not to dig those memories back out. 
And then the amygdala actually does the opposite. It'll heighten its awareness and overstimulate, and that gives you fear and anxiety. So when that, when the front of your brain is trying to communicate with other parts, as we get older and we normally understand how things go, we know what should, we should be fearful of. We know what we should be calm about. But when that stuff happens, that whole neuron connection literally blows up. And what it blows up is our reward pathway. It's called mesolimbic uh, dopamine system is really the full term, but it's that dopamine system of reward. When those neural circuitries are off because of all that happens, you don't have the ability to normally give the reward system its activity. Why is that important? The reward system is what keeps you alive. It literally, as a species, we exist because the reward system is triggered so that you can get out of bed, that you could go hunt, or you could do something, you have a checklist, you go to work, you do something, you bring money back, you're taking care of a family, you have, it's like this, that's the drive for you to succeed. Serotonin actually makes you feel good about doing those things. And oxytocin is the other one that makes you more intimate relationships, your tribe and having people around you. All the things I just said, which are normal, they're dampened because the, that, the entire neurochemistry and, and actual neurons that develop that, that allow you to do that are totally disrupted. So what does the individual need to do? They are a constant look for something that kicks the reward system in for survival because you're, you're genetically made to be able to constantly have the reward system to make you wanna get up, wanna eat, wanna have sex, want to go to a game, want to go to work. All those things are important because as a species, we wouldn't survive. If you didn't do any of the things I just stated, we're gone. Right. And we're looking and looking and looking and whether it's the game and whether it's playing with some a sport, whether it's taking the medications when you're injured, whether it's then going and grabbing a phone and placing bets. When a, when a system is not normally producing anything, You'll look for whatever it is that could be the trigger. And gambling is definitely one of them. Not to say the guy was, that was his, his go-to, they say the drug of choice. When you say drug, it could be anything. But the, the thing of choice for him was not essentially the gambling, but you bet your rear end when the guy's at all the things he went through and he's sitting on the couch and he picks up the phone and says, I could do that. It's already triggering his ability. And Theo's right. It's not about winning money. It's about the process of trying to win the money. That's what the dopamine is not about killing the buffalo and bringing to your tribe. The dopamine is about wanting to get up, grab a spear, go in the woods, go and look for it. It's that constant boom, 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 hit, hit, hit. That's, that's how that system works. So it's the fact that you're actually doing something to stimulate it, like make a bet, which was the wrong thing to do, obviously. But that was what was left of him while he's sitting on his couch. It, I don't know everyone, everyone who thinks that it's, I mean, that that science explanation, John, is amazing. And, and I think we need to dive more into that because for everyone who thinks you need to have a large bet for it to, to feed that reward center, take your phone out right now and refresh your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook feed of what the reward system is for that like or that follow that you get and right. how you're chasing that and chasing that and chasing that. Because when you're in a place where Calvin Ridley was, what he describes, some of the, the story that we didn't share, coming home after practice, wanting to sit in a dark room, his daughter wanting to play with him. He didn't want to leave the room, even though he knows it's his daughter and he loves his daughter. He wants to spend time with her. He's got no energy. 
Theo and I have felt that before. We know exactly what that's like. John's felt pieces of that he shared with me when his father passed away. So it's happened to different each of us at different points in our lives for different stretches, but we know what that's like for the world to feel numb and dull and dark and nothingness. This concept of what depression is, is not sadness alone. That is that that is one of the biggest misnomers in this space. Depression means sadness, anxiety means nervousness. No, it doesn't. Mental health declines of which depression, which is a cluster of symptoms and not a disease in the body, makes you feel nothingness like you're in a like you're just in this empty vacuum floating and you can't get out of it and so you know what when you're in that place the 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 refreshing of the phone doesn't give you the hit okay not that that's a healthy way to get the hit because guess what a lot of us are addicted to to refreshing the phone but you need something like oh this is a little bit dangerous here i'm gonna go and do this dangerous thing and that's what calvin did that's what theo's describing he did when his other coping mechanisms were taken away is they went towards these other things that gave a little bit of that lift. And when, you know, as I'm hearing John describe, you know, the, the, the chemical makeup of it and how we're designed for the reward center, for the reward center, for the reward center, we all can remember being little kids. And obviously some of us had more trauma at a really young age than others did, but you can remember being a little kid and getting excited that your parents want to take you to Disneyland or Disney world getting excited that grandma or grandpa are coming over, getting excited that you're going into the schoolyard to play with the toys, getting excited that a friend is coming over. Like that's the normal reward center. And John kind of does this thing where he shows his hand and it looks like a wave is going up and going down and a wave is going up and going down. And that's the cadence of the hit that we're used to getting. And when he describes it, that front of the brain and that back of the brain don't connect where the reward center, the emotion doesn't connect with the front, which is the prefrontal cortex, because of traumatic events at a younger age, you're not getting the emotional hit because the way the chemicals are, are playing out in your brain, you know cognitively things should feel good, but they're not feeling good. And so you're searching for what out there will make me feel good because we're wired to go to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. The scariest part of living my hell that I did for two and a half years was laying in that bed, waking up every single morning going, it's Groundhog's Day. Again, I have nothing that I want to do. Nothing that's naturally coming to me that's saying to me, go do this. And I remember my cousin being in my ears like a coach to me. He's a, he's a high school basketball coach. He's like, even though you don't feel like it, write a list of things you're going to do today. You're going to do 10 push-ups. Even if one of the things on the list is you're going to watch TV for five minutes, even though you don't like watching the TV right now because you can't even follow the plot line, you need to make a list and check off that list and get your brain used to accomplishing things. Because if you don't do that, you go to darker places where you try to find that lift from somewhere else. John, you're shaking your head. Yeah, no, I, I look, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head because that wave that I do, that, that, um, that picture is really the touch, the touching up and down of what your nervous system is supposed to do. That design is I'm supposed to be fine. I feel good. I'm rest and digest phase. Everything's great. I got people around me. I have joy. I'm in the presence. I'm grounded. I'm curious. I'm compassionate. 
then something happens and I go and dip up because there's a little fear or anxiety over something that might happen. And that's okay. Like you're supposed to have that. You dip up and down like that. I always give the example of like you, you're driving and you're not paying attention. You know, you just passed the cop and then you're like, oh man, I hope he doesn't pull out. And he does. And then you, your heart starts to race and you feel a little sweat coming on and he gets behind you. He's like, oh my God, don't pull me over. And then all of a sudden he goes around you and chases someone else. And then boom, you go right back down to, that's like almost an ecstasy feeling when he leaves. Like that's a good example of this quick up and down. And you're supposed to react because if that police officer was a tiger and you're in the Serengeti, you better know to react a certain way so you could bust out. And that, that's the like the flight is that sense of panic and fear, anxiety, worry, concern. Fight is if you know you're backed in the wall, now you got to fight yourself out of it. When you're in a place of just always worried, always what's going to happen? Is something else going to happen to me, to my family, to my relatives, to you know how we told the story of what he went through as a young child. It's okay to go up and down like I explained. It's not okay to stay in that fear, that flight, fright, the the that anxiety, the worry, the constant concern. Because when you do stay there, you get into the position where you'll either freeze out completely or you will start looking for anything and anything to help you out. We're not supposed to be chased by that cop in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. And when we go to bed, we dream about it. Like that's not the way world is supposed to be, but people will have all this angst built up. It's like that. So we, what do we do is we look before we are, we disassociate and become something we're not, which then gives you the whole suicide ideation, self-harm, cutting, uh, burning, and all the things that we know, just like, I got to get out of here and I'll do anything to, to hide the symptoms. What we do is we look for anything that'll bring that back down to some level of normalcy. That's getting that neurochemistry hit. I think I hope that explains just another. No, it, it does later. great. I want I want I want to get Theo's firsthand take after Dr. Rosa describes it that way. Like Theo sitting in that blackjack chair or that poker table versus doing a line of cocaine versus you know going to a strip club, right? Like, can you can you describe for people because? I'm someone feel who I go to the well on my work addiction all the time. So I don't use a lot of either different maladaptive behaviors or substances, but the one I use, I exhaust it and it's friggin' exhausting and it's maladaptive for sure. For the people who haven't used those different ones, can you explain how similar it is to have the different tools or how different it is to have those different maladaptive tools that you go to? So can you imagine that, uh, how connection is wired in, in me. It's adrenaline and oxytocin from my abuser. Yep. So I was always seeking connection attached to adrenaline and oxytocin. That's fucked up. That's really fucked up, right? So, so part of my sort of risky behavior was because of how connection and uh, um, fear were wired into my nervous system. And I, I mean, so, so does that make sense? No, it makes sense. But, and, and, and like, as you're saying that 
it makes me think of so many news stories just start flashing through my head. Like Tiger Woods bet this amount of money playing in a golf, you know, friendly against Michael Jordan playing, betting this amount of money against, uh, you know, Charles Barkley, right. Who, who, who looks like a terrible golfer, but you know, he, he bets nonetheless. And, and, but and those guys aren't, they don't care about the money. They don't that's care what about I'm the saying. money. They care about the chemistry yes. attached to that activity. That's my, that's my like point. We are, we are pharmacies. We, we have our own pharmacies in our body. And when yep. we can't find the stuff that we need externally, we'll find it internally. No, you feel, I, I wasn't saying it to try to talk about the amount that they bet. I'm saying that's that's always the headline mm. that out there is the it, they always share the number because they, uh, it's a big deal that they bet this amount. To your point, I'm more looking at the connection between why do we see people who made it to being a professional athlete going to activities like a gambling, going to activities like things that are riskier, right? Uh, dating people where it's a high life and. Uh, okay, that might not be the most stable person for me, but you know what? Uh, when when I show up on the red carpet, all eyes are on us, right? And 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 there's a theme there. There's a connection there. Yep. And, well, you and, can get addicted to relationships too. Yep. <laughs> you can <laughs> get addicted me. <laughs> to being in relationships too. Right? Yep. You know. Yeah, it's yeah like, we talked about this person. You know, when we take judgment out and we add compassion and empathy into it, you know, that's when this whole thing gets flipped on its ear and more people will be willing to be honest and open, you know, is when we get the judgment out of the behavior, right? Because I believe that there's a reason for the behavior and that behavior is usually a learned behavior from childhood which probably isn't the best kind of behavior. But um, when we look at situations from a compassionate and empathetic lens, which is what we do because, because we've been on the other side of judgment and all this stuff. And so we just become more compassionate because we know that compassion is the only way out of this. And if, we're out there judging all the time, you know, that, that doesn't do anything good for, for our own chemistry moving forward, especially when we're on a healing journey. What we preach uh, same here in this podcast and the, the work that we do is always normalizing the conversation and storytelling. I, what he did was beautiful, right? I, how that that letter to to the team and to the players and to anyone who would listen on i think him just telling the story is in and of itself very therapeutic and it's by by the way therapeutic not just for him it's therapeutic for anyone who then hears and says wait a minute same here like i i I've gone through, I like it because it's not labeling. Like we keep trying to say, and, I, and Theo says he hates the word addiction. I can't stand it either. And, and to say somebody has depressive disorder, anxiety disorder, or bipolar disorder, it's like we love throwing a title and a name. And a, no, like it's called symptoms. 
You right. have anxiety because there's stuff that's making you anxious. You're depressed because you have depressive symptoms because things don't go so well. You're, you, there's, there's, you collect symptoms based on stuff that happens. And the minute you tell a story, just because his was this, this very explicit story of him, eight years old, and the door gets knocked in, and they come in, and the police take my parents away, and I'm in foster care, and then the same thing happens when I'm older, and I got, then I get hurt, and I'm on, like, he's just, it's just a story, like, every, Theo's is different, you know, he has other things that are placed in that same queue, and every time we speak to somebody, there is, it's, the story is slightly different all the time, and the outcome's always the same. We're, we're, we're just, we, we gotta like, you know, you know, I, and I use the term because Eric, I know you use it all the time. We'll land the plane on that. This is, this is actually a, a really good thing. And, and if he could get away from the haters and the comments and the stupidity that goes around it, it's just, you know, I say stupidity, I should call, I should back up the back off the stupidity and just call it ignorance because people that have their own stuff love to throw those darts and they should now look at what he said. And I bet you at some cases they do, they read it and want to make a comment because they're hold, they're holding their own in. But then after they, the story is told and they may understand it, maybe that's an outlet for them to get help and get better too. Cause we all could use a little bit of, you know, come to Jesus moment with ourselves and say, yeah, you know what? I went through some stuff too. Well, this, this separation that happens through labels that we're trying to break through every time we have a new conversation here, when we do a new episode, it, it happens in layers of layers. And that's the frustrating thing that we're trying to break through here. So layer one is what's wrong with you. And you get get put into these categories of the what's wrong with you. The first piece of it is a diagnosis. It's anxiety, depression, PTSD, OCD, ADHD, right? So you get put into this, what sounds to the common person like a disease. This is the disease that you have, and you either have it or you don't have it. Okay, so you're in the category of the 20% of people who have it, right? Then separately from that, you get these terms thrown out there like alcoholic, drug addict, addicted gambler, okay, food addict. And what happens is society gets so confused because they don't understand the connection between layer one, where people are getting diagnosed with a label that seems like a disease of have it or not, and then layer two of the maladaptive coping with pain of symptoms. So what happens is people go, oh, addiction, it's its own thing. Being an addicted gambler is its own category. Uh, uh, being an alcoholic is its own category. And, you know, Theo, I, I, I love that you that you talk highly of 12-step or AA. There's a downside, a little bit of 12-step and AA also, which is you get up in front of a room and you say, I'm so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. And I almost want to want to take that room and just make it broader. That's why I mean by the downside of it is I want to say I'm so and so and I'm a holic, let alone an alcoholic. I'm a right. something. Right. Yeah. You know, well, that's why that's why they have gamblers anonymous and debtors anonymous and cocaine anonymous and narcotics anonymous. Yes. And you know but 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 feel in in being separated into those groups, and it's great that those support systems are there. There's an underlying piece that ties it all together, which is the emotional pain that we're running away from. And, For sure. and that's, you know, that's a thing that it, it's good in the group setting that you find people who have gone through what you've gone through and have coped with the same 
thing, the same tool, let's call it that. It, what it's not good for is how the media takes those narratives and places people into the Vincent Jackson died because he was an alcoholic and was found at his hotel room. See, he had a previous DUI. The police department came out with it. Gets put in that category, right? This this uh, drummer in this band, he was a drug addict and he died because of overdose of drugs, right? And when we separate that way, we never learn the thread that happens. And that was why I thought discussing this Ridley piece was so important because, you know, we noticed it early on. Oh my God, people are just saying he made up mental health in order to cover up for the gambling. And we're like, no, that's not what it was. These are absolutely connected. And then unbeknownst to us, he, he was getting ready to write his letter, which came out this week, showing where that connection exists. And I hope more and more people are able to tie these together. To, to, to Dr. Rose's point, Theo's story is not the same as Calvin Ridley's, is not the same as mine, is not even the same as Dr. Rose's, because we've all got a story. They're not the same, but the place we end up is the same, is trying to avoid the pain. And until we learn the tools that are productive tools, that are not just sitting on a couch and talking about it over and over again, and it's not just taking the pill and it fixing us, but is actually doing trauma-releasing exercises that get us to a place where we're able to better handle, cope, and deal with the pain in a productive way, these patterns are going to continue. So, so you're probably going to hear from us in coming episodes, and it's probably going to sound like a lot of similar with slightly different plots coming into it. But that's by design. That's not by design because John, Theo, Darren, and I are designing it. It's by design because that's how our nervous system and our brain works. And the more we continue to show those themes through these stories, the more that thread will be connected. Hopefully, the more the media will catch up and understand it, and hopefully our society will understand it. I know sure as hell because I've been to plenty of events with Theo at my side talking, with John at my side talking, Darren's been to the events with us, that when you educate through storytelling, people come up to you after and the light bulb goes off and they see the connection and they go, you're me, I'm you. Even though your story is not exactly the same as theirs, that's the concept of what same here is. So on that note, I want to thank both of you. You know, wish Darren was here for this conversation. Um, it's an important one because... I think he, I'm going to defend Darren a little bit here. He gets a lot of shit talked to him because he's in the space of reporting on gambling. And what we've shared here is gambling is just one thing that people turn to because there's other underlying stuff. Darren's doing nothing different reporting on gambling than Dr. Ruth does reporting on sex, that Emerald Lagasse does reporting on food. These are all things that we can turn to that are maladaptive. I'm not trying to say that, oh, gambling is in the same category. No, I'm just saying they're all things that when there's underlying pieces of stuff, we can turn to these maladaptive things. Let's take the onus away from someone like Darren and put the onus on something like, what is the pain we're dealing with that we're trying to avoid? And so on that note, uh, thank you all for listening. It's been another episode of We're All a Little Crazy brought to you by the hashtag same here global mental health movement you can find us at at same here underscore global on all of our social media channels and we will speak to you next week thanks so much